Can I just say it's a bit concerning when you stand up and folk are already crying before you've actually said a word. <laughs> so this morning, as Mark said, we're going to continue um, our series looking at Habakkuk. Um, well, this is a series which is called An, an Honest Faith. Um, it's looking at some of the, the questions that Habakkuk has asked of God and what God's response to those questions has, has been. So this morning we're on to chapter 3 and uh, I'm going to read the first 15 verses and then next week uh, Mark is going to finish off the last couple of verses um, and which conclude the book. So this morning we're reading Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 1 to 15. If you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, then please do. Um, The words will be up on the screen as well. So let's read this passage of Scripture together. So it says, A prayer of the prophet Habakkuk, according to Shigarnoth. Lord, I have heard the reports about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. God comes from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His brilliance is like light, razor flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Plague goes before him and pestilence follows in his steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. I see the tents of Cushion in distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. Are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the rivers? Or is your fury against the sea when you ride on your horses, your victorious chariot? You took the sheath from your bow. The arrows are ready to be used with an oath. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains see you and they shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by the deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence at the flash of your flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear. You march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him from foot to neck. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors come out to scatter as gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the vast water. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's an amazing picture in this passage of who you are and what you do but if we're honest heavenly father a lot of what we've just read has kind of gone over our heads 
And so we pray right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that he would teach us, that he would open our eyes, that we would really understand what your word says. And Father, we want to acknowledge this morning that your word is not just to be read, it's not just to to be looked over, but your word is to be lived and to put into practice. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would do that as well, that he would not only give us understanding, but he would give us a willingness and a desire to be obedient to you, that we would test and that we would know and we would see for ourselves that your word is good and powerful and life-changing. And so we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start right from the beginning, said, having read this, read this passage, what are we meant to learn from this? What are we meant to, to, to take from this this morning? And so what I want to say to you this morning is as we read this prayer of Habakkuk, then what we really want to learn is that remembering who God is and giving thanks for who God is and for what God has done is in the past is an important part of developing a powerful and effective uh, faith for the present. If we are uh, going through life, and life is good, that things are working well for us, that we feel that God is with us and God is blessing us, it's important that we sometimes, we don't take that for granted, that we stop and we give thanks for God's goodness, for God's blessing, for the sense and the security of having God's presence with us. And if we're going through a season in our life where that's not the case, where, where we're struggling, where life is hard, where, as we've seen with Habakkuk, where sometimes we've got questions about our faith, you know, where is God in the middle of this situation? Why is God letting this happen to me? Then these are the times sometimes when it's important to look back and remember how God has been with us, how God has answered prayer, how Scripture has come alive and taught us and guided us, so that just as we can look back and see, well, God helped me here, and this is how God helped me, that even in the middle of the situation I'm in just now, even although I can't see a way out, I believe that just as God has helped me before, God is going to come to my rescue, God is going to help me again. That's what we're looking to remember this morning, the importance of remembering the past so that it gives us strength and hope in the present. So, if you've been following this series in Habakkuk, then you're probably aware that there's a real change in the style and the content of chapter 3 compared to what's happened in chapters 1 and 2. In chapter 1, Habakkuk has questions for God. His first question is this. He says to God, God, if you're a holy God, why do you ignore the evil and the wickedness that's going on all around me? And so... In um, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out and you, uh, to you about violence and you do not save? And so that's Habakkuk's first question. And God comes to Habakkuk and he says, I can see what's going on. And up until now, I've been patient. I've been giving my people the opportunity to change, to turn around and be the people they should be. But now that that time is over, and I am going to punish them because of their sin, because of their disobedience. And when God explains to Habakkuk how he's going to punish the people for his disobedience, that gives Habakkuk a second problem. 
because God says he's going to use uh, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, they, they get referred to, and he's going to use them to come and to punish his people. And so Habakkuk at this point, having got an answer to his first question, now has another question. And his second question is, how can a God of justice use such an evil people for his own purpose? Because everybody knew the, Chal- the, the, the Babylonians. They were... They were evil. They had no mercy, no kindness, no compassion on anyone. They swept into a nation and they wiped out everybody. They took everything they could. And so Habakkuk says, how can you use a people like that to punish your own people? And so again in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, your eyes are too pure to look in evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. He's learned the answer to his first question. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? And I've summarized that by saying that basically Habakkuk is saying, I know we are bad, but the Babylonians are worse. How can you use them to serve you? And God's response to the second question is that it's precisely because he is a God of holiness and justice that he will judge the evil of the Babylonians, not just how they treat the Israelites, God's own people, but how they have treated the other nations round about them. But then God goes on to say, not only am I going to judge my own people, not only am I going to judge the Babylonians, but as a God of justice, I will judge every tribe, every nation, and every person. And I'll do it in my time, when I think the time is right. So having had his doubts about God answered, Habakkuk closes this this letter, this prophecy, with this beautiful, powerful song of praise and faith. And although in verse 1 it describes it as a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, it says that it's according to uh, Shigunoth, which is a musical style. Uh, And so in actual fact, this is more a psalm that we, we see in the book of, of Sam. And it starts off in verse 3, sorry, in verse 2, by saying, Lord, I have heard uh, the report about you. I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. And here's Habakkuk saying, Lord, I've heard what you have done for your people in the past but could you do the same things now could you come to the rescue of your people now could you show your might and your power and your majesty and as you show your holiness and your justice could you also please remember to show mercy to remember that we're weak and that we're frail and that we do fail So what I want to ask you this morning as we start to go through this letter is, what are the past things that Habakkuk has heard? What are the things that Habakkuk wants to see God doing in his present, in his time? How have the things that Habakkuk has heard replaced the doubts that he had in chapters 1 and 2 with faith in the present? And perhaps most importantly, How does the things that Habakkuk is asking God to do help us as the readers of Habakkuk in the 21st 
century. So as we've read this passage this morning, even just a quick reading, and I appreciate, because it happens to me Sunday after Sunday, I've had a week to go through this passage and look at it and think about it and wrestle with some of the questions. But when you've just sat there and you've just read this for the first time, what sticks out for you just reading through it quickly? And I would imagine for many of us that what stands out is that here is a, a, a song of praise and power that is celebrating God's awesome might and power. And Habakkuk, like a lot of the Psalms I've already mentioned and a lot of the other prophets, use the, the picture of thunder and lightning and mountain-shaking earthquakes to, to try and convey God's amazing power and strength and might. And so it says uh, in verse 6, He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. So here's God's might and majesty and power that the Habakkuk is celebrating. But it's also a song that, that pictures God's justice that Habakkuk is so concerned about. As, and he sees God's justice as condemning sin and evil. Verse 12 says, You march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. Now let me just stop there for a wee second. Just as we have this basic understanding of this passage, as it reminds us of who God is, as it reminds us how different God is from us, as it reminds us how powerful how mighty, how holy God is. My first question to you this morning is, when was the last time that you or myself simply were in awe of who God is, of what God does? Have we got so familiar and so comfortable with God that we've lost this sense of the privilege it is to be in his presence? Or have we just got to a stage where our prayers, instead of being filled with the thanksgiving, with a sense of privilege, have simply become a constant list of complaints about the world that we live in or a constant shopping list of things that we want God to do for us instead of just taking the time to recognize who God is. There's a word in this in this scripture appears three times and I have, I have steadfastly ignored it when I was reading it, and the word is cellar. And that word cellar is a direction not to the musicians, it's, a, it's a, a direction to the congregation listening or singing the song. And that is simply, to put it bluntly, it simply means shut up. More politely, it means to be still and to know that I am God. But sometimes we can be so busy. And sometimes the problem is we can be so busy doing things for God, lots of good things, that we lose sight of the God that we're doing them for. And sometimes what God just wants you to do is just stop. You know, I appreciate your service and your gifts and your prayers and everything else. But you know what? How about we just stop for a wee bit and we just chat? That we just spend some time getting to know one another. Do you understand that this morning? 
that the God who has created the heavens and the earth, this God that we read about here, whose presence is able to destroy mountains that causes nations to fear and tremble, that same God just wants you this morning. Just wants you and me to spend time in his presence and just say, God, thank you. Not for what you give me, or not just for what you give me, but thank you for who you are. Thank you for the fact that you love me so much that you just want me to just stop and pause and just give you some of my time today. Habakkuk's readers, as they, as they sang this song, they would be able to see all these pictures of God's might and God's power and God's holiness in this passage. But they would also see so much more. And this is where we hit a problem with Habakkuk. And it's not just Habakkuk. If we're honest, when we read through some of the Psalms, when, <clears throat> when we read through some of the, the prophets, there are, are words and phrases in there that, that we, just, we just completely miss. Let me try and explain it this way. If I said to you this morning that um, the Eiffel Tower, what does that kick off in your head? You might have a picture of uh, a metal tower sitting on four legs with a big spire that goes up into the sky at the very least. But the minute I mention the Eiffel Tower, I would think that you'll start thinking of things like, well, Paris, because that's where it is. Or you might be thinking about France. If I say the words, I have a dream, now I'm going to ask you, because you're all sitting there very quiet, some of you get smiles on your face. What do you think about when you hear those words? Right? You think about Martin Luther King. You think about the civil rights movement um, in, in America. If I mention Dunkirk, what does that bring to mind? World War II. It depends how much you know about Dunkirk. You might be thinking about films like uh, Saving Private Ryan and the Allied troops storming beaches to, to try and liberate uh, Europe from the Nazis. You might also, if you know your history, know that Dunkirk was a bit of a glorious failure. And what actually happened was that they had to send a flotilla of ships um, over to rescue the, to rescue the Allied troops uh, and get them back off the beaches. But out of that sense of failure. We have this phrase, the Dunkirk spirit, where folk all rally together and they help people in times of, of difficulty. But what I'm trying to say to you this morning is there are, there are words and names and phrases that the minute you use them, they trigger a shared sense of consciousness. There are shared memories and associations that come with these things. If I mention Romeo and Juliet, then we all get misty-eyed and we think about love and romance and things like that, do we not? But the problem is that, you know, these are all part of our culture. They're, they're things we've grown up with. They are stories that we've read. They're songs that we have sung. Um, they're part of our history, part of our education and things like that. But what happens if we have references that are not part of our culture? So if I said to you this morning, everyone belongs to everyone else, 
How many of you get that reference? Everyone belongs to everyone else. That maybe sounds nice and positive and encouraging. You know, it's almost biblical, this idea that, you know, we should look out for one another. Is that? Well, actually, no, it's not. Because if you've never read the book Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, you don't actually know how dark and oppressive that phrase, everyone belongs to everyone else, actually is. And so that's the problem that we have when we come to Habakkuk this morning. There are references right the way, sprinkled right throughout this, this passage, that, that people in the 7th century BC would instantly get that just fly over our heads. So let me try and unpack some of them for you this morning. Verse 5. Let's start with a simple one. Plague goes before him and pestilence follows in his steps. Think back in a wee second to your, to, to your Bible knowledge. Sunday school stories perhaps in the story um, of the, the Egyptians, sorry, the, the Israelites in Egypt. How did God eventually persuade the Egyptians to let the Israelites go free? He sent a series of curses, a series of plagues and pestilence on the people that culminated in what's called the death of the firstborn, the, the, the firstborn son of every family, the, the firstborn of every animal died in a single night. And the only people that were free from that curse was when God um, put blood over the doors um, of the, the houses but the Israelites remembered that God had asked the Egyptians time and time again, let my people go, and when they wouldn't, eventually God judged them with a series of plagues, hail, rain, uh, frogs, um, boils, gnats, rivers turning to blood, and all of these things. So when Habakkuk's readers read that verse, that's where their mind goes back to, God coming to the rescue of his people. Verses 13 and 14 says this, You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him from foot to neck. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if to secretly devour the weak. And you might think that maybe that's Habakkuk thinking about God judging the Babylonians, but you need to remember that's not happened yet. This is... Habakkuk's declaration of faith and trust in God before the Babylonians have got anywhere near Israel. The clue is in the last wee bit where it says that, um, that warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. We're still back in the early days of Israel. What happened when the Egyptians let them go? The Bible says they got to the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh changed his mind and brought his army out. So what did God do? The Bible says God split the Red Sea. The Israelites passed through. And when Pharaoh and his warriors and his chariots tried to do the same thing, God closed the sea and destroyed them. So now, as they're reading Habakkuk, they're thinking about the Passover and about, about the plagues that allowed them to be freed from Egypt. They're thinking about God letting them through the Red Sea and destroying Pharaoh and his army. And then, the very first one that we come to is the most difficult one to, um, to explain. Verse 3, it says, God comes from Teman, 
The Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens. So the first question what you want to ask is, well, where is Teman? What is this mountain? Teman is an area in the south of Israel. In fact, Teman itself is simply Hebrew for south. It's a bit like if, if I had, had said, you know, that uh, you know, we're going south of the border. You know, just that way in Scotland, we tend to refer to everything that's not Scotland as that bit over the border, you know, down south. Well, that's what Temin is. It's the Israelites going, you know, that down south, down there, that bit down there. Um, it's a place called Edom. Keep that in mind because this is, that bit's important. It's an area near Edom. Param itself is a wilderness, and there's the first clue. It's a wilderness between Egypt and Edom. And again, depending on how good your Bible knowledge, knowledge is, depending on what you were taught when you went to Sunday school, what do you think about in the Old Testament when you think about wilderness? You're thinking about the Israelites having come from Egypt, having gone through the Red Sea, and then spending 40 years wandering about in the wilderness. That's number one. But the other thing is, see when the 40 years were over and they went into the promised land, guess what direction they came from? They came from the south into the promised land. So right the way through Habakkuk, do you see that what's happening? Right the way through Habakkuk, he's reminding the people of God's faithful faithfulness to them as a nation. The God who set them free from Egypt. The God who destroyed their enemies who wanted to, destru- to destroy them and wipe them out. The God who led them and protected them for 40 years in the wilderness and brought them into the land that they're in now. But there's a wee bit more. I'm going to finish with this, this example. Compare verse 3 we've just read with these verses in Deuteronomy where it says, the Lord came from Sinai and appeared to them from Seir. Seir, by the way, is another name for Edom. It's a bit like when we talk about Scotland and we refer to it as Caledonia or Alaba. He shone in them from Mount Paran. There's that mountain again. He came with 10,000 holy ones with lightning from his right hand for them. Here's thunder and lightning getting referred to again. What does Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 2 refer to? It's referring to, as they were going through the wilderness, a particularly important event happened, and that was that God gathered the people round Mount Sinai. This is where Moses was given the Ten Commandments. But more importantly than that, this is where God entered into an agreement, into a covenant with the people of Israel. And that covenant to sum it up was, if you obey me, you will be my people and I will be your God. So again, here is Habakkuk. He's using very specific references and names and phrases that will make the Israelites think about what God has done in the past. And if you're a people who's been told that God is going to bring an evil, cruel nation to judge you and to condemn you, you want to remember when God also set you free from cruel and evil people. When God is condemning you because you're not living in obedience to him and you're not doing what God asks you to do, you need to be reminded of the time when God made that agreement, that commitment. You obey me, I will protect you. If you keep my laws, I will bless you. 
And if you don't keep my laws, you're going to have to face the consequences of that. And so this is what Habakkuk's psalm is trying to remind the people of. This is what God has done in the past. This is what God will do for us now. This is what God will do in the future because that's who he is. So I want to ask you this morning, I've already asked you, do we stop and remember who God is simply to be in awe of who he is and what, and, and what God does? But let's be more personal now. How good are we at stopping remembering how God has blessed us, what God has done for us? Where are the times when God has answered your prayers or answered somebody else's prayers for you on their behalf? How many of us have a practice of, of sometimes sitting down and trying to remember how has God spoken to me? How has God led me? How has God helped me? How has God protected me? How many of us actually write these things down? I've said to you in the past, I didn't bring it with me this morning, I have a Bible at home that I've had for about 20 mm. 40, yes, I'm losing my mind here. 43 years I've had this Bible. And in that Bible, I write, I have notes in the margin that says, God spoke to me about this scripture. That God has taught me this. That God has answered this prayer. And I need to go to that Bible sometimes and just flick my way through them and be reminded of what God has done. So that I remember when I'm in the middle and I'm struggling. God has come through for me in the past. God is going to come through for me again. And we, if you haven't got that habit now, then I want to encourage you to develop that habit now. If you need to write it down, write it down so that you can go back to it. When you're praying and you're asking God for something, write it down in a prayer diary. And then remember to go back and write in your prayer diary, well, how did God answer that prayer? Maybe it wasn't quite how you expected, but God maybe gave you an answer. We need to remember what God has done in the past so that it can encourage us and strengthen our faith here in the present. Let me ask another question this morning. We're kind of coming towards the end of this passage, but let me ask you this question this morning. If for Habakkuk's people, and in Habakkuk's time, references to Teman and Param and thunder and lightning were the trigger words that reminded Habakkuk and his readers of God's past mighty acts. What are our trigger words for what God has done for us here in the 21st century? Let me suggest you some. Maybe not what you expect. What about Christmas? Is that a word that just for you means Santa Claus and Christmas trees and presents? Or is Christmas a word that reminds you, uh, as we were singing today, about a God who left the glory and the splendor of heaven and was born in a dirty, smelly stable? But God did do something about the sin and the evil that's in our world. What about Easter? 
Does that just make you think about bunnies and chocolate eggs? Or does it remind us, again, we were singing this morning about a saviour who didn't come into the world to be worshipped and adored, despite the fact that that was his right and that's what he deserved, but a God who was humble, a God who came in because of the evil that was in the world, because of religious hypocrisy, because of jealousy and envy, because of of political cowardice and uh, legal corruption, was sentenced to death that he didn't deserve. The worst possible kind of death that someone could have had inflicted on them at that time in that part of the world. But Easter should also remind us of a, of a God who refused stubbornly to stay dead, who rose from the dead as a sign that our sins have been forgiven and paid for. To remind us, death has no claim on us anymore, that we were singing that this morning, that we are now set free. That it's not just that we remember what God has done for us in the past, that because of what God has done for us, our future is heaven. Samuel, thank you for the songs you've picked this morning that remind us of these things. That's our future, eternity. doesn't matter what we are facing just now. This too will pass. And as our scripture says, one day we will see this God that we are hearing about, this God who is described in thunder and lightning and earthquakes. One day we will see that God with our own eyes because of what Christ has done for us. So Christmas, Easter, Pentecost. We used to call it Harvest Thanksgiving. I think we have almost lost that association now. But that's what it was initially, was the Harvest Thanksgiving. But Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, When the days of trying to do your best to please God by keeping rules and laws and regulations were done away with, when God's power came in, when God was not just with us, but God is in us, and that God's spirit changes and transforms us and enables us to serve him and live for him and and serve him. When 3,000 people were saved in one day, So like the exodus, like the wilderness, like the giving of the law in Sinai, like coming into the promised land, these are the reminders of God's saving acts, not just for one nation, but for every nation. Mark read, you know, for every, uh, not Mark, sorry, when Samuel read this morning, John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, do you ever notice that verse goes from the whole world right down to the personal level? God died for the world, but he loves you and he loves me as individuals. And I want to ask you this morning, as we remember what God has done for us through coming into the world, through dying on the cross, through being raised from life, through uh, raised to life, through giving us the Holy Spirit, are we praying that we would not only remember these things, these acts of power and mercy in the past, are we praying that we would see these things in our day happening now? I wonder what people think about if, if you use Glasgow as a trigger word. Do they think about maybe the Dear Green Place? Do they think about the, uh, a city that's nickname is No Mean City? 
I would love Glasgow to become a, a byword for our children, our grandchildren in the future, where when they think about Glasgow, they think about revival, where they think about where instead of churches being closed and turned into offices and factories and flats and things, that they remember a time when the church, there were so many people coming to faith that churches had to go into factories and shops and, and hold their services there because there was no room in the churches. God, we want to see your works in our years. And God, are we praying in your wrath, remember mercy. I'm going to finish with one more trigger phase that should cause us to remember who God is and what God has done. One phrase, three words. Bread and wine. There are two main purposes behind communion. The first one is to remember. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. God's amazing. God knows we have absolutely terrible memories. And I don't just mean the fact that we don't hold on to information. We will forget stuff if we don't have constant reminders of things. And that's why in Baptist churches we have communion every single week. We don't do it once a month. We don't do it maybe three or four times in a year. But we do it every single time we come together. Because it's important that we remember that we never forget what God has done for us. And so maybe this morning as we finish this service and as I invite you to come to this table and to take this bread and to take this wine, maybe you're coming this morning to, to drink and to eat in thanksgiving because God has been with you this week. God's blessed you in some way. God has spoken to you in some way. And so therefore, this is a table of thanksgiving. And you know, maybe this morning you're going to come to this table and you're going to struggle. Because maybe the stuff happening, and you don't know, as I said earlier on, why is God letting that happen? Why isn't God doing something about it? And you're going to come to this table and you're going to say, I don't care how I feel, I know who God is, and I know what God has done, and I know what God will do again. Maybe this morning you feel, I can't take communion, I'm too bad. I've, you know, I've done something this week that I would be ashamed to tell anybody. And I can't even look God in the face. Well, I'm telling you that you need this table more than ever this morning. Because even if our sin catches us out and disappoints us, it doesn't catch God out. God knew exactly who we were. God knew exactly who he was dying for when he died for us. So God is not disappointed in you this morning. God is not angry at you this morning. God loves you, and God wants you to come to this table and know, no matter what you have done, God will always love you, that he will never stop loving you. And the second purpose of communion is proclamation, that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's why we do it every week.
because every week we need to be reminded that on our own we cannot make it. We cannot keep we cannot please God, we cannot meet God's righteous demands on our own strength. And that's why God came and died for us. And we want to remind people this morning, this table is for anybody and everybody. It doesn't matter whether this is your first time here this morning, it doesn't matter if it's going to be your last time here this morning, or anything else in between. The only thing that matters is, as long as you know that Christ died for you, that you are accepted and forgiven by him, you can come and you can take this bread and this wine and be part of Christ's body here in Denison. So we would respectfully ask that if you haven't asked that, if you can't do that and recognize what this bread and wine symbolizes, we would just respectfully ask that you would just sit and watch as other people come to the table. But do you know something? We would love for you to be able to come to this table. So if you haven't already got to that stage where you've asked Christ to come into your life, then we would love to be able to, to show you how to take that step. We want to you, we want every person, whether in this room or on watching on a live stream, we want everybody to get from a place where they have simply heard about who God is and what God has done to actually knowing who God is and experiencing what God does. Today you have that opportunity to learn how that your knowledge of God can go from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. And in your wrath, remember mercy. Amen. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of holiness, that there is no sin in you, there is no darkness in you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that in that holiness it means that you cannot look on sin, you cannot tolerate it. And so we recognize we are sinful people and that we have on our own no right to be in your presence, that being in your presence would literally destroy us. And yet we thank you that we can come to you, not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, but we thank you that we can come in the blood of Christ who has paid the price and the penalty for everything that we have done. And so we thank you, Heavenly Father, that we stand this morning not in anything that we have done, but we stand this morning literally clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so we thank you that when you look at us, you don't see our sin, you don't see our failure, you don't see our disobedience, but you see your son, Jesus, your beloved son. And Father, we do pray that you would work in us, that you would help us not just to remember who you are and what you've done, we pray that you'd help us to live out in gratitude to you. We thank you, Heavenly Father. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you in so many different ways, but we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you don't just want us to do things for you. You don't even just want our praise and our adoration, even although you deserve that a thousand times over. But sometimes, Father, you just want us 
we cannot get our heads around the fact that you love us and you love us that much, that us being in your presence blesses you and brings us joy. Father, ahead, we cannot get our heads around that, but we thank you that it's true. And so we pray that we'd be encouraged by knowing who you are. We'd be encouraged in our relationship with you. We pray that you would strengthen us in our faith if we're struggling right now. We pray that you'd help us to, to encourage one another to be able to say that what God has done for me, he can do for you. Help us, Lord, to love you and to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.